You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But Jesus tells us to not to resist an evil person. For if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you for your shirt, give to them your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be called children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Are not even the pagans doing that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Aren't we blessed to be at a church where scripture is memorized like that? Yes, go ahead. You may applaud that. Absolutely. In, in Churches of Christ, you have to ask permission, but there you are. Um, it's given to you. Uh, we're, we're in the Nashville area, so we'll start it this way. Tim McGraw had a hit uh, with a song written by Lori McKenna called Humble and Kind. Don't panic. I'm not going to leap into the song at this stage. But it's a series of admonitions, and it's, it's a sweet song. And those of you that have heard it understand what I mean. And if you haven't, it's just a series of do this, do this, don't do that. And if you don't watch out, that's the way we'll read the Sermon on the Mount with a list of do's and don'ts. You know, when kids are little, they need a list of do's and don'ts. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Well, mainly don'ts. We, we give them a long list. But then we say, don't do this and do that. And they, we expect them at some time to not need the list. But to let it be an instinct to do the right thing. Because it's not so much about doing, it's about being. And the Sermon on the Mount is not, we shouldn't take it as a list of minimums. A list of minimums to do and a list of things to don't. That, that would actually rob it of its purpose. Jesus is describing kingdom people. New instincts. New ways of living. Not, more, not just a decent human being, but a kingdom person. So he starts as he has, and he works his way to here, and, he, and we're to the point on oaths now. And, and the Jews took oaths very, very seriously indeed. They took the name of God very seriously. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12, it's one of many passages, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And Leviticus constantly wants you to remember, we do what we do and we don't do other things because he is Lord. And that changes who we are. Quite a few of, uh, by the way, of our distinguishing marks of our judicial system actually came as gifts from the Jews. As far as we can tell, that's where they got their, their genesis, to use a, a term that's also from them. Moses is carved on the front of the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C. Jury trials, a call to speak only the truth, formal oaths before being deposed, uh, rules against bearing false witness with penalties for doing so, fairness in hearing both sides, 
All of these things are given to us by the Jews. But back to those oaths, they, they took them seriously. Jews hallowed the name of God so much that they often, not always, but often refused to say it. Let me step aside for just a minute here. Whenever I'll say Jews did this and Jews did that, please understand that not all Jewish societies in all centuries behaved always the same. And so we're having to speak in broad brushes here. But some of them would use the name of God. Others would use substitutes for the name of God, even scalable substitutes. In other words, this one is closer to that name than this one, which is closer to that name than this one. And they, they would devise this strategy so that they would not sin, that they would not blaspheme. In Europe, all through the medieval times, blasphemy was to use the name of God inappropriately. So, anybody on Facebook, back then, ye old Facebook, that would have gone, oh my God, that was called blasphemy, because you didn't use his name properly. You did not use his name in reverence. They, they were serious about this, and Jesus reminds them of Deuteronomy when he speaks here. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. This sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Because it is. It is deadly serious. Some Jews took this so literally and so, um, so personally that they refused to take oaths at all. Others would, like I say, use more scalable words, and we'll look at what those are. Well, Jesus gives us four of them here with heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and head. Those were getting closer, but they weren't using the name of God. But God, through Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, calls you and I, to a higher standard of speech. That when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. We're going to take that seriously. Whenever we make an oath, we're going to keep that oath. Say what you mean. Don't say any more than what you mean. That's another thing about us. We often, there's this call to be polite. There's also the call to be noticed and important and to be seen as important. Therefore, we tend to rush in to fill the silences. You don't need to speak unless you need to speak. I was told early on by a professor that he was talking about a class he was teaching. And he told them that his main job was to tell them how to differentiate between having to say something and having something to say. And there's a big place in between there. If you have to say something, you'll just rush in to fill the silence. But having something to say, you're kind of like Paul when he said, woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. I feel like Paul would have exploded if he didn't have the chance to talk about Jesus. Say what you mean, but you don't need to say any more. Jesus here looks like he's saying don't take oaths at all. But there were some oaths that Jewish people made and that we make that are not covered by this, I don't believe. There are others that are. 
This seems to be judicial oaths or oaths where we allow ourselves to shade the meaning and the shade the, well, for example, you know this. Somebody walks up to you and goes, okay, to tell you the truth, what do you think? You think, ah, it's not going to be the truth then. They've just set up something. To, it, this is a signal to let us know. Uh, you have to watch out, though, because in British English, if they want to reveal something about themselves, they'll say, well, to be honest. And that doesn't mean the same as it would be in America. For the, you know, Well, to be honest, I never actually listened to Tim McGraw sing the song. There you are. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a self-revelatory thing. And, and they'll use that expression a lot. But we know in American English when somebody goes, well, to tell you the truth, and we go, I'm not so sure that's coming. Are we the people who will speak what we mean, who say what we mean, no more, no less? Think about this. There are people among us in this room right now that are involved in law enforcement or they are involved in the medical professions. They are lied to every day. Every day. Every police officer is lied to every day. They, that, no wonder they have a whole different set of counseling needs. They have a whole different set of attitudes because they know they're going to be lied to. Medical professionals are the same. And you're wondering, well, how is that possible? Well, I'll, give, I'll use me as a thing here. I'm right now going through physical therapy. And um, I'll go see the physical terrorist uh, uh, two to three times a week. <laughs> Um, I'll go in to say to star us, there they are, uh, and they, um, they'll, they'll giggle, they'll say, let's see what we can do to him this time. And then they will look me straight in the eye, and they will say, have you been doing all of your exercises? Now, normally, people say yes to get, I, I look at them and say, why would you try to make me lie to you? No, I did a couple, I got bored, and I had a snack. <laughs> I... <clears throat> The doctors will look at you and they'll say, list every medication. We tend not to do the little stuff we bought at the vitamin store and the herbal store and the other store. We don't put those on there because we don't want him to look at that and go, what were you thinking? <laughs> or he'll say, have you been exercising? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see jumping to conclusions, <laughs> dodging responsibility. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, they get lied to all the time. Wouldn't it be better if you just told them the truth and said, no, I've been taking this junk, haven't exercised, and I'd like to go outside for a smoke right now uh, while you think about what I need to say and do. People, we need to be the people that just go ahead and tell the truth. We don't need to have parsing words. Isn't that, it, it, doesn't that get old on television with all the news and and our side trying to catch your side, and your side trying to catch our side with something they said. Kingdom people are to be above this. Look at James 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not, not by heaven, nor earth, nor by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Does that not sound very much like what Jesus just told us? said, don't, don't go farther than this. I remember once my, my kids, I forget where we were going. It was going to be somewhere fun. And, and little Duncan looked at me and he goes, uh, you're going to take us on Saturday? And I said, yes. He goes, promise? I went, no. And that, he just looked at me and I said, 
yes because I intend to. But I don't say promise because something could happen. And I almost came out, you know, a little boy, so I stopped it. But it almost came out. I could die. And then, but that doesn't comfort them as much as you might think. So, again, I have to say, no, that's my intention. Yes. I believe, and there's, there's room for disagreement here, always among God's people. I believe we're not to take oaths at all when we talk about legal, judicial oaths. We can certainly make other oaths, such as in marriage and in baptism, and God holds us to those things. We can make agreements. I have a mortgage. I sign papers. I sign pl- we can sign pledge cards, letting our shepherds know that we intend to give, and we intend to give to this level. I think all of those are fine, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Oaths, judicial oaths, are required for a people who are not habitually honest. And therefore, we run everybody through them. I've only had to be sworn in in court a few times, and I've been probably a handful of times I've been sworn in to do a deposition, which is not in court, but in a lawyer's office. They'll say, raise your right hand. And in some places, you still put your hand on a Bible. Most of them, they don't anymore. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. And I'll just stand there. And they'll look at me. There's a guy, this is his only job. He's, he's a little concerned. He'll do it again, and I'll say, I, I don't swear. They said, you can affirm. My problem is, if you say affirm to mean the same thing as swear... So I look at him and say, I'm a Christian, and I'm aware of the laws of perjury. And nobody has ever yet denied me from getting on the stand. I just don't feel that they're necessary. We're Christians. Just ask us a question. We'll answer you. It's here that we need to also once again stress that there are oaths we make among each other in marriage and in baptism which are oaths or covenants. Perhaps we should call them those. Covenants. And God holds us to those covenants very, very strictly. One of my favorite illustrations of this is whenever the Gibeonites come around the corner to lie to the Israelites to say, we're from a far country, you'll never get there. Uh, We just would like for you to make a promise never to, to kill us if ever you got there, which you never will. And the Israelites said, okay. And it was a stupid covenant to make. God told them, don't make a covenant. They did. It was made on the basis of a lie, and yet God held them to it. You made made an oath. Be careful. Now let's move on, because most of us aren't going to be standing in front of judges that often, but we are going to be talking. Watch out about multiplying words. Many of you remember a time in America. I actually don't. I, I was here... But I was a little guy and wasn't paying that much attention. I was here during a lot of that time. um, Where the news, the nightly news, was the only news you had. And it was 15 or 30 minutes, something like this. And sometimes you would have a news hour. And that was was death to all children in the room. (laughs) Now we have 24-7, lots of channels. We have to fill them with words. And Jesus says, when you have to fill something with words the devil comes in. And he's absolutely correct. When you have to think of sports, there used to be the game of the week. You might never see your team play because it was the game of the week. Now we have them all over. That's fine. Uh, I like like several of the sports. 
But now we have to have TV programs and radio programs talking about them all the time. What happens? It's one long, devolved, rolling argument. God says, watch out. Don't fill the plates with words. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything else opens the door to the devil. If you're having a hard time understanding it, let me just do a very simple one. By the way, this never occurred, and it will never occur, because I'm making it completely up. But let's say that I hated broccoli. I don't. I, I, I have no animus toward broccoli at all. I never wake up in the middle of the night and go, broccoli. I'm fine with broccoli. Understood. Broccoli has certain uh, vitamins and um, bits and pieces in it, which are very good for us. But let's say that I hated it, that I had made it well known. But let's say that Cammie, for reasons known only to herself, would like for me to live longer. Therefore, she makes a meal, and broccoli is on the plate. So, I'm eating the meal, being quiet. She goes, how do you like the food? And I say, uh, thank you. Um, I'm not a big fan of the broccoli, but thank you. I've already introduced something into the equation, have I not? Instead of saying, thank you for making the food. If I then go further, you know I didn't like broccoli, but you made the broccoli. You're just like your mother. What have I done? What have I done? <laughs> where are you now? You are not where you were. You are in a very dark place. You might end up in a tunnel with your relatives at the end yelling, run. This is, this is what God's saying, saying just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's all you need to say. That leads us to the next section. Because you don't have to always say things. There are some other things you don't have to do. You've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Whoa. Now Jesus has gotten impractical, don't you think? Remember I told you, and I cannot remember where I saw this first, perhaps in Scott McKnight's book, that when you read the Sermon on the Mount, notice where you stop nodding. This is one of those places where I have a hard time nodding sometimes. Because I think of exceptions as if Jesus hadn't thought of these things. What is he trying to do here? Early in our history, in, in the Churches of Christ, and by the way, Churches of Christ, we, we're, that, that term, that's not a brand name. If you're visiting us from another religious tribe, let me just remind you, Churches of Christ means believers everywhere. And that's, we intentionally chose a non-brand name. It's rather like in the Apostles' Creed when we said the Holy Catholic Church. We're not talking about an instituted Catholic Church, which is in Rome. The word Catholic there means universal. We believe in God's people everywhere. So if you're one of God's people and you've come to visit us today, you're very welcome. Welcome home. The Churches of Christ have a history like everybody else, which is a bit interesting. Early on in our history, we seem to be a have been a good mix of pacifist and non-pacifist. Please remember 
that there are many varieties of pacifism and many varieties of not being a pacifist, so we're not trying to paint anybody extremes. There was a good mix. Then the Civil War came, and that hardened attitudes and drove brothers apart. Some served in the Civil War for the North. Some served in the South. Some became pacifists because of the carnage and seeing brother against brother. By the time World War I came along, many members of the Churches of Christ and other of the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement actually went to jail because they would not fight. Others served as non-combatants. That was a little bit more difficult in World War I because the president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, did not appreciate non-combatants and instead put them into prison rather than letting them be conscientious objectors. So many pacifists during that time, and yet after World War I, the American fundamentalist movement rolls through. And so many in our people were taken with it. By World War II, it was shocking to hear of a pacifist in the Churches of Christ. It does this. It goes back and forth. That lasted to about the Vietnam War, although there were exceptions, always are exceptions. And today, from what I can read and see, and again, anecdote is not data. I'm just saying from what I can see, pacifism is very much on the rise among especially our younger people and the younger ministers. Most of them that I know are some degree of pacifist. Is Jesus here saying that's what we're to be? Well, when I was a boy, I saw a cowboy movie once where the guy was hit twice and then he hit back saying he'd run out of cheeks. No. What, what is going on with Jesus here? Jesus is addressing a change. You remember we talked about this. He starts by saying, you've heard it said, and he, and he quotes God, the law, Moses' law, and then he shoves it out further. Instead of don't murder, don't even hate people or call them fools. Instead of don't commit adultery, don't look at people that way. Don't plan for it. Don't think about it. You know how he shoves it back out? Well, the law, an eye for an eye, was actually part of Jewish law. And it sounds cruel, but it wasn't. It was for its time so incredibly enlightened. Because in other societies, if you hurt somebody... What would happen to you was dependent upon your standing in society versus theirs. So let's say that you threw a rock at a nobleman. They could wipe out your whole village. They were allowed to, to, uh, to ven uh, bring vengeance against you, your children and your animals. Because they were more important than you. Among the Jews, there was equality, unlike that found any other place. These laws said you cannot hurt somebody more than they hurt you. There is an echo of that in American law of uh, self-defense. If somebody kicks you and knocks you to the ground, you're not allowed to shoot them because that's not considered equal to what happened to you. There is a, and by yes, I'm aware courts have messed with this, but the point being, that still is an echo of the Jewish law. Look at Jewish law. And uh, we're going to look at Exodus and then Leviticus just to dip our toe into this. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, 
wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Then Leviticus, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. You see again, not going overboard and wiping out the family. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Again, does that sound a bit cruel? Well, yeah, it, it does. But for that day and time, amazingly just and fair. And it still echoes, like I said, in our own time. Now, retribution was not optional. It was required. It was to be enforced by the community. It was a culturally accepted way of handling wrongs done to each other. There was no room for negotiation. Take a look at Deuteronomy 19.21. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So Jesus gets up. Is he saying pacifism? I don't think so. Again, I have amazing friends who are pacifists that I respect. And I've even told them, I'm not strong enough to be one of you. you know, and by the way, some of them have said, then are you okay with war? No. There can be people who aren't pacifists or aren't okay with war. There's so many gradations here. But as we talk, I don't think that's what Jesus is going for here. There was an expression among the Jews, from what I understand, about being insulted or lied to being a slap. If that's what he's referring to, he's saying, when somebody makes an oath against you or speaks against you, you don't have to speak back against them. It could be a physical blow. But regardless, do you know what I see here? Is Jesus releasing us from the obligation to respond. We don't have to respond. Somebody goes for us, we don't have to. Somebody yells at us, we don't have to yell back. Injustice is done to us, we don't have to get our pound of flesh back. We don't always, we're released from the burden of always needing justice. Now you may you wonder, but think about this. What is it like to walk around always feeling like the world has wronged you and you need to get yours back. What a burden that is. So if somebody says something against me, I have no need to respond. I have no need to speak back. I have no need to defend. Why? Because I don't have to. Jesus released me from this. You've been slapped. I can refer to the great theologian Elsa and let it go. I don't... Um, <laughs> You see, country music, animation, I'm well-rounded. Um, also, I have grandkids, and I've heard that song so many times, I wish they would let it go. <laughs> Simply put, Jesus is calling us to love one another and lay aside some of our rights. Some of our rights need to be laid aside so that we can live in peace with one another. The world will never get this. The world wants power over each other. The world wants dominance. It wants, it wants justice. It wants status. It wants fairness. But when in the history of the universe have you ever gotten the idea that fairness works here? That fairness rules? Instead of responding, I, I, I will never go to God and say, God, I want what's coming to me. No, 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 not, no, not even a little at all. 
I don't even want what's coming to you. I, I, want, I want grace, mercy. Well, if you want grace, mercy, and peace, want that for the person that harmed you too. We were, um, my, my, we just moved to West Virginia, and I got a great opportunity to do a devotional chapel for the West Virginia University Mountaineer football team before their big game. So my daughter was excited about this. My son was excited about this. I put them in my car. Can't remember why Cammie couldn't go with us. As we were driving across the bridge, a semi changed lanes without any signal or looking. Drove us into the side of the bridge. We spun around several times. The third time we hit the bridge, we hit so hard it broke my seatbelt. It was, it was rough. We were all taken to hospital. And I could tell you several stories about that, but that's not the point. The point is, in the hospital, I got a call from one of my relatives saying, how are you doing? I said, you know, I'm really doing fine. I had a bruised heart. They were all surprised to find one in there at all, but a bruised heart. And there were a few things, but nothing gross or dangerous. And the kids got away with, you know, a little scar or something. And my relative said, whatever you do, you don't take any penny less than a million dollars. Really? Why? Well, because they, they hurt you. Well, they did, but not a million dollars worth. And we, we had that discussion. We had others that would come to us, not quite saying a million, but you need to get your lawyers lined up and you need to... We said, you know, all we really want is a vehicle and the, the bills paid. And people were disappointed in us. But that's not the only time that Cammie and I have said, you know something? We're, we're, we're not going to hurt you. We were on a cruise. You're on a cruise, people. How badly treated can you be? We're on a cruise. My wife fell down, broke her arm. You would have thought we were already lining up lawyers. They were trying to treat us nice because they didn't want us to take the ship away. I don't have a place to put it. I'm fine. <laughs> and the number of times we had to tell people, we have no interest in suing you. We have no interest in harming you in any way. And it was a shock. Recently, I, uh, I had some friends come from out of town to a, uh, an event at Lipscomb, and they said, come up and let's do lunch. And I, and, and I agreed, you know, so I figured, oh, my, my truck's all messed up, so I'm going to drive it through the car wash right by our house. Something went wrong. It was, the water in there was sewage water. Yeah, it was a treat. <laughs> Got into all the vents. It was gagging. I went out, I, and, I, and I was trying to figure out what's, what's wrong here. Something is, I could not get it cleaned out. It was, a, it was a hard day. So I went back to the car wash, and I said, um, this is what happened. And they're going, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. We'll give you 15 free washes, and we'll do and I said, no, no. All I want is, I don't want it to smell like a toilet. That's, that's it. If you would do that, that's fine. And they kept saying, no, no, we'll, we'll do more. And, and it, was, it was almost like a battle. No, you won't. Why? Because I, I told them, I want you to be in business. I like you being where you are. I have no intention of taking a dollar from you. I just want to let you know this is happening to all those people in that line. You're about to have a treat. Um, and some of them may not have that same attitude. I got that not naturally. When I was a kid, 
I was like all kids. I didn't share. I had no interest in sharing. I wanted mine, mine, mine. Did you have to teach your kids the word mine? It's amazing, isn't it? Whatever language pops right out of them. Mine, mine. And as I grew older, it was mine, mine. As I was an adult, mine, mine. It took God a long time to get this to me. Patrick, you can take a slap and not return it. You're free. You're free from living life looking to get even with other people. And I think he's also doing something else. He, he does mention briefly, and we haven't even talked about it, and the time has really gone for it, but about giving. You know, if you grasp your money, you grasp your time, you grasp your status, you grasp your standing, what a miserable life that is. What a horrible life that is. So Jesus says, give it away. Somebody comes at you thinking, I'm going to get them. I'm going to take their coat. Here, have some more. I'm going to, I'm going to force them to walk with me a mile. Volunteer for the next mile. Takes all the sting out of it, I tell you. It's amazing what happens when you will not strike back. Give more than was expected. Don't worry about the future, Jesus says. How hard is that? Especially when every commercial is one of two things. One, you might not live long enough, so you need to take our drug. There's a side effect of death, but you might not live long enough. And the other one is, you might live too long and run out of money. We're told to panic every commercial. Jesus says, don't. Live righteously right now. Let God take care of tomorrow. Have we stopped nodding? Or are we willing to bow the knee and live life without the need for retribution? I'm going to read a scripture here. I ask you please to, to stand as we do this out of Romans. Bless those who persecute you. Now remember, we take the, the commands on baptism pretty seriously, do we not? And others, these are commands. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Let's put that last slide back up if we could for a second. I'm going to ask us all to read verse 21 in unison. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen, church?